0: How oh, does the Seven Samurai theme tune go? Da 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 da
1: The Remake. Spoilers in 3, 2,
0: 1. Hello and welcome to the Good, the Bad and the Remake podcast, where we watch some classic films, some not so great, and their respective remakes. Will the recreation be an unmake, an agree make an agree-make, or amazing My name is Neil, and these are my co-hosts.
2: Hey, I'm Catherine.
1: Hello, I'm Ben.
0: Today, we have episode 10, Seven Samurai, and the remake, Magnificent Seven. Here are our thoughts on the original, our expectations for the remake, and the one thing we'll take from the remake into the original, and much more. So, we've made it to episode 10. That means we've watched...
1: 20 films 20
0: films 20 films had to do some math and head there um but these films what's special about these i guess is that unlike the previous nine they actually have two different titles so that is seven samurai the magnificent seven even though they got two titles though ben what does it mean
1: i can only have one synopsis
0: absolutely so take it away
1: okay i've tried to go out strong here i've tried to be professional Tired of being raided and abused by a group of roaming bandits, a small village, under the guidance of a wise elder, pool their resources to hire a group of warriors to protect them and teach them how to fight back. As the village learns to confront their fears, the seven assembled fighters learn about a life less detached than the wandering warriors they have become.
0: Is that off the back of the DVD case for A Bug's Life?
1: I think I... yeah, that's right. I think I've missed my calling in life. I think I could yeah, I could write IMDb synopses.
0: Catherine, the films themselves then, uh, two different names, but two different films. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about their histories and how they came to be?
2: Yeah, two different years in which they were made. 1954 for the original, only 1960 for the remake, six years later. It's almost the shortest time between remakes. Can you tell me which is the got the shortest time the I ones think, we've watched
1: i think it was insomnia wasn't it was that about four or five years
2: it was five years yeah, yeah. Ah. so the budget of the original five hundred thousand half a million dollars that is worldwide gross this was difficult to kind of ascertain i got a lot of figures in japanese yen hmm. but they were saying well that's ticket ticket sales not not actual monetary value and i found it pretty difficult but i've gone got a figure of 322,000. So it's a loss, but I'm not sure if that's correct. And I don't think that can, I think that must have been at the time and doesn't stand up to what it's made sure. over the past 70 years. The remake cost 2 million to make and made 9 million back, nearly 10 million. Wow. So profitable. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so it was a box office failure in the US at the time, but it was a smash hit in Europe, in particular in Russia but i don't know if that has anything to do with your bruno being a russian man originally the original i couldn't get much for how it was critically received at the time which japan's highest grossing movie ever when i get to the the current scores you'll see how it is reviewed at the moment
0: so i'd seen seven samurai mentioned on a previous episode 15 16 years ago maybe at university and a friend of mine, the guy I was living with, was big into his uh, Kurosawa films, so we watched uh, a few of them. Never watched it since, and Magnificent Seven, I fledglingly remember seeing it perhaps on Sunday afternoon telly and things, but I don't think I've actually fully sat down and watched it completely. Uh, what about you, Catherine? you seen either film?
2: No, I hadn't seen either. Um, I'd heard of both of them, quite um, famous films, but I hadn't seen. Well, I think i have probably seen bits of The Magnificent Seven, on Sunday television, that kind of thing, but not as a as I sat down and watched it as a one long film.
0: And have you seen A Bug's Life?
2: No. Really? No.
1: Oh, it's good. The Bug's Life. And Ben Magnificent Seven is one of those films that I couldn't even tell you how many times I've seen it. We watched it loads mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and I think as I said before it was one of those westerns. You know, when the nan sits down and watches John Wayne all day every day. Magnificent Seven was one of the few that I actually like, really saw the value of and carried on into my adult life. So I've, I've seen it, it numerous times. I've watched it every few years that I've been alive. Seven Samurai, I think I had only seen in its entirety once before, and that was when I was at university because it's a mammoth film. And I know that I have sat down and started watching it many, many times. So I've seen the first hour a bunch of times but I think I'd only ever seen the whole film once through before this week
0: It certainly is a a mammoth um <clears throat> is it nearly four it's three hours? and a, three and a half three with the half. interval yeah
1: yeah because you get yeah. a nice long interval in there as well don't you?
0: yeah and that was cool that it was literally an interval yeah you <laughs> just sat there for 10 minutes waiting for the, uh, the film to come back on
1: just listening to some music um, huh? yeah you
0: should also mention of course if you are catching up on these uh uh, episodes, the reason we're, we're jokingly referencing uh, The Bug's Life is because uh, that is very much a, a retelling or remake of Seven Samurai as well.
1: But as as Richard Moore pointed out a few weeks ago, you've also then got the sci-fi remake, Battle Beyond the Stars, which yeah. is not very good, uh, and the modern remake of The Magnificent Seven, which is made in 2016. There is another one that I thought about a lot when I was watching Magnificent Seven, though, but we'll come back to that.
0: Okay. So, on The uh, Seventh Samurai then, the original film. Uh, Catherine, as always, if you'd like to kick us off with your thoughts on the the film, please.
2: If you know me, you know I like a slower-paced film. I like the oldies, I like the black and whites, and the classic sort of looks between people, rather than everything just delivered with witty repartee. I really tried to like this film. Oh. I, yeah, it's it's not that I didn't like it. I really tried to love this film because everything I've read around it, everything I've heard from you, from, you know, all the, the websites I've visited and just what's in the zeitgeist, I guess, is that it's the best film ever made. It's a classic it is the beginning of every film that seems to have been made since. That's that's what I'm getting from this. And I thought, well, obviously I'm going to love this film. And I didn't. I like a slow paced film, but it was glacial, certainly for the first half. Yeah, I really liked the characters and the development of their relationships. The characterization of them was fantastic. I just, I didn't get it. I liked, no, I liked it. I did. I didn't get why it's such an amazing film and i'm sure that you can tell me i'm sure that probably almost anybody who's got any kind of film knowledge can tell me why it is supposed to be be all and end all
0: well i yeah i kind of knew this was coming (laughs) so so as you always say we catherine and i don't uh, discuss the film or even bad neither of us discuss the film until we record and i just felt that impression that you're not saying it's a bad film but it whether you enjoyed it, is I guess the, the point. There
2: were, there were good parts to it, like I say, the characterization, and I liked the the actual storyline. There were also bad bits. The ball caps were awful. What I mean, what? that's a, the the ball caps.
1: Oh, okay, all right. I mean,
2: but I mean that's a that's a stupid thing. It's nothing really to do with the film.
1: So, like, what parts of the film? Did you find, you know, unengaging then? Like what part of it? Did it just not sweep you up? Or?
2: No, I, get, I got more engaged towards the end. And the deaths did have more impact than I thought they would, as I'd got to know the characters, I guess. It, like I said, I didn't dislike it. I expected more samurai sword play, more sort of swashbuckling and just exciting sort of dueling. Um, didn't get much of that. I, I liked the strategy. I liked them coming to the village and getting the villagers on side. It's not very hard to kill a 1950s person, is it? I mean, it doesn't take much. If The modern films now, people take a batter in before they die. 1950s, you just look at them and they fall over, it seems to be, beat a sword at them. But by okay. the by, it's not a, it, it, that's not why the film didn't grab me.
0: Okay, so I'm very opposite. So I, I think it's, it's incredible. A few things I would say is that if, you, if you're if you listening to this and you haven't seen the film, you've got to go in with the expectation this is a black and white 1950s foreign subtitled film that's three and a half hours long. Yeah. So <clears throat> just be ready with that mindset because if you go in um, expecting something different, it's not an easy, you know, you said yourself, Ben, you've probably watched it once in its entirety before. Um, and I did find, uh, not necessarily the, the, the first sort of half an hour, 40 minutes weren't necessarily slow, but it's building, I guess, the the conflict in the story. The thing I liked was, was like literally within the first 30 seconds, you know, these bandits are coming, they've been there before, and they're not going to attack this village again because the crops haven't formed yet, so they need to come back later. And that's within 30 seconds, boom. And then this village center, fearful of... Uh, of of their livelihood, of you know, they're going to come and take away uh, the stocks, their food, everything, and they're desperate. So they reluctantly turn to this, this idea of, of hiring samurai, but they've got no money, and there's conflict in the village about whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. Should they just surrender? Should they just give in? You know, just have an easier life. And then we get to um, introduce two, and I'm going to really struggle with names here, so you have to bear with me. Uh, Kambi 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 Kambi
1: I guess which one is that Kambi the leads uh,
0: the, the leader basically okay,
1: all right. I was going to say the bald one but that doesn't really help does it I, I no. really liked him yeah he's great yeah
0: and then they form the team and this is where it starts to get really cool and exciting because you start to meet the the, the different samurai and they all have their own kind of introductions. You've got the guy who's doing the wood chopping and he's like super mm. hard and strong and then you've got the game they play or the trick they try to play on them where they try to whack them with a bamboo stick as they walk in and one doesn't fall for it. And, mm. and just all these little kind of um, montages of, of building this team up. Then the, the, I think they've, if I remember correctly there are then six samurai uh, and there is Kiku, Kikuchio.
1: Kikuchio, yeah so that's Toshirō th- sure
0: yes who is kind of this he's not really part of the seven yet yeah. but he's kind of tagging along uh, and he's this kind of I'm sorry, loose cannons not the right word because then he's necessarily dangerous he's just a bit a bit wild and a bit crazy yeah and I really like the scene where they where they, I think you were told this earlier in the film about the alarm in the village and the alarm goes off and they think oh my god the bandits are coming and it now it's just uh Kikuchio. Proving that the samurai are here to help them, not to hurt them. That kind of conflict is is flown through the village as well. Uh, the father of the the daughter who shaves his daughter's head to so like a boy because she's scared, or he's scared. Sorry, that the samurai are going to come in and rape and pillage them and they're just going to do what all the bandits do. So you know, I could go on about all this, all this that happens, but it it, it does kind of set that scene, and then you get I think you get the interval around this point. And then you come back and all the samurai are having a great time. They're having banter and they get to know the villages and they're like part of the community now. Uh, and then very rapidly after the interval, the bandits start to infiltrate. And you see the defense and the planning that's got into what they're doing, the uh, structures they've built to keep them out. It's all so well thought out that. Um, I guess the map where they constantly yeah. refer to where they're ticking off people or crossing off people bandits they've been killed it's just so so cool and the last 20 th- well basically the action scene at the end
1: I mean it's most of the last hour is all, all <laughs> yeah, action yeah. really but the yeah. final the final battle is in the storm isn't it like when it's raining yeah you know you,
0: you look at that as, as a film that's 64 60 yeah 64 years old no 66 years old yeah it's insane you know like th- this was real people on real horses throwing not to say real weapons but you know this no cgi there's no trickery it, going on this it,
2: is just it, tamb- i can confirm it was real weapons real arrows they had wow. bl- they had blocks of wood and anyone in it was going to be shot they had blocks of wood in their clothing <laughs> and they had to have expert archers to basically place place their arrows in those people
0: yeah just so incredible for, for its time and you know Catherine referenced it about how it has you know there is a lot of eulogizing about this film and how it's influenced not just stories but the the way films are made yeah you know you can even you can even put some like the Avengers in this you know building the team bringing them together you know all these different characters you've got a loose cannon you've got a comedian you've got a joker you've got a leader you've got this you've got that and I'm sure stories like that existed before. And this was not necessarily the first, but it feels like it was the first that kind of brought it all together in this epic three and a half hour film. So yeah, I thought it was great.
2: I feel like I enjoyed it more, having listened to you talk about it. Oh. I, I mean, I did I did enjoy it. I did. I, the the points I picked up on that weren't the great points I feel like stupid, picky things. But overall, it just didn't grab me.
0: I'll let Ben go, and then I do have a question for you,
1: I mean, I agree with what you said. It's a daunting thing to sit down in front of a three and a half hour movie and you've really got to make that investment worthwhile. And this is, I think, the longest film that Kurosawa ever made. And he made some big old movies. The genius of this film, I think, is so layered because the story itself is really simple. It does not justify three and a half hours worth of story. It's the, the opposite of Inception, where Inception is trying to cram in as much story as possible into two and a half hours. There's hardly any story here. So setting that up so quickly, what you then have is like an hour and a half, two hours of kind of sketches or short stories or whatever. Every single character, it feels like, in the village and in the samurai team, and they all have these really rich backstories and motivations there's so many like interwoven conflicts between all of the players because they have different ideas of honor and pride and that's really what the film is all about on top of all of that though and this is the bit that's hard to gauge you know nearly 70 years later is how much kurosawa invented in terms of modern cinematic language like Neil said, like having that really long sequence of just putting the team together. No one had done anything like that before having blood on screen, having uh, a man touch another woman's breast, you know, albeit by accident, this was revolutionary stuff deploying slow motion, you know, in a way that feels 20 years ahead of its time, but still is really jarring. Now, when you look at an old black and white movie, that's in a quite square aspect ratio, and then the first person gets killed and they f- sort of fall in slow motion like something out of the Wild Bunch. It's amazing. And, and it's kind of like the Citizen Kane thing of like, Citizen Kane is most interesting to people who are interested in films. If you just want to watch a good movie, don't watch Citizen Kane. It is a good movie, but you don't sit down and watch that movie for the story. You sit down to marvel at what Orson Welles did in the 1940s. And I feel the same way about Seven Samurai to an extent. Like it's a milestone in the history of world cinema. But even without all of that stuff, I still think it's a really, really entertaining movie. It gives you everything pretty much that a movie should give you. It's, there's, there's lots of levity in it, but then you've got these massive fight scenes and they get more and more complex as well, like ending with that sequence in the storm and stunts and beautiful Radical photography, like sweeping down hillsides or having buildings burning in the background and the action in the foreground, it is it is revolutionary stuff. And I think it's easy to take the standpoint that this is a good film, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it. I think that's totally fine. I think if you said, this is not a good film, there'd be blood in the water because it's, it's <laughs> a remarkable film for when it was made and yeah, really, it's just really, really satisfying. And there is all that other stuff in there thematically as well. I don't know like, how much you want to go into it, but there's a lot of conversations around honor and sacrifice and pride. And I still think there's relevant stuff in there as well, like especially in the, the climate that we live in now, about sacrificing personal freedoms and pleasures for the overall survival of the collective. And all of the characters in this have to learn that, and the villagers have to learn that, and the samurai have to learn that as well. There's an amazing bit, I think it is just before the interval, the speech that Camber gives, yeah. where um, some of the villagers have tried to desert and they're saying if we can't protect our houses because they're outside of the boundary of the defenses, then we won't defend theirs. We won't fight for the village if our houses have to be sacrificed. And the the response is collective defense protects the individual. Individual defense destroys the individual. And That feels like something that we're still trying to talk about now, it's, it's got worse and worse and worse. So I think there's just so much in this. There's great characters, there's great action, there's great sound design. I mean, Jesus Christ, the way the drums and the, the humming sort of choir is used, but then also the repetitive sound of an owl's hoot over and over and over again in the background, it merges the line between what is score and what's sound effect. And it's almost drawing attention to the artifice of it being a film. I can't really say enough about how amazing this film is. I will stop short of saying I absolutely love it. Like it's not in my top 10 or anything like that, but it's a remarkable film. And I think it is one of, if not the greatest films ever made, certainly one of the most important films ever made in the same way that Blade Runner influenced 40 years of science fiction. I think this has influenced... 50, 60 years of, of action filmmaking.
2: <laughs> I knew you'd tell me why I was wrong. But <laughs> no, You're not wrong,
1: unless you <laughs> no, no, say it's no. a bad film.
2: No, no, I, I did enjoy it. I just didn't love it.
1: That's fine. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that.
0: So with um, the question I was going to ask you, Catherine, so the, the ending, I guess, what's your kind of thoughts on how it, on how it ended, your interpretation of the samurai defeat the, um, the bandits, if you like, four samurai uh, have lost their lives, three samurai survive. And there's a phrase uh, where they say, we've lost again with their land, the farmers are victors.
2: Yeah, I, I nearly brought that up then when Ben was talking about the individualism versus collectivism. And I, I just think it's, they knew that going in, i think but they still did it they still made that sacrifice and that realization at the end i don't think it was necessarily realization i think he knew that anyway but he did it because it was the right thing to do and and that shot at the end as well of the 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 burial sites the burial mounds that was a great shot oh it's
1: incredible stunning shot yeah
0: yeah so i was going to say because i agree with that that the, the the reasoning for doing it was not for money it wasn't for the food stocks or anything they did it because they're they're good people and you know as i said defending the uh, collective whereas i get the sense that the um the villagers were kind of just went about their lives as normal and you know and the, the samurai kind of went on to the next town and and they were kind of forgotten about and it's kind of sad in some ways that it ends like that and they're still not necessarily feared by the villagers but they're certainly not welcomed into the community
1: I think there's something in that, though, of like the samurai are trying to teach the villagers how to fight, how to defend, how to be courageous in the face of of fear. And it sounds corny to put it this way, but bear in mind that this is a a 65-year-old movie. At the same time, the samurai have to learn to adapt from their very rigid code, their very lonely code as well. If they absolutely stuck to the warrior code, the, the way of the samurai, there's no way they would have let the old woman come in and avenge her son's death yeah, when yeah. they capture the, the, the bandit and that's the moment in the film where it turns and he goes you know what, it is the right thing to allow this woman justice, we, she is not expected to follow our code and so at the end when they've won, they've defeated the bandits the villagers can forget everything they've learned because they've got what the reason for fighting was they've got their land, they've got their families they've got their houses, they've got their village but the samurai are changed, but they're not a part of the village, so they're going to walk away now feeling that loss of the thing that they'd earned, which was mm. something to fight for, you know, a, a love, essentially, you know, compassion, community, whatever you want to call it. And so it is, it is a sad ending, I think, uh, not just because four of their friends or cohort are dead, but because they're they're just the lonely warriors again.
0: Well, I think that is the longest we've gone on an original, um, but absolutely uh, worth it. Is there anything else anyone would like to add before we do get into the remake?
1: We just have to talk about Tashira Mafuni, who's <laughs> the most... He's got the, the greatest character in the film because he's, he is the wildest. He is the most... Exuberant. He's, like, he's all emotion, in a way, which goes against the Warrior Code, which is why I think they were reluctant to, to bring him in but he's also the most compassionate. He entertains the children. He understands all the people. And he, he's the most reckless warrior as well. Mafuni, I don't necessarily think this is my favorite performance of his. Uh, it is his favorite performance of his um, because he said it was the most that he got to be like himself, which is odd. <laughs> but um, I, my, my feeling about him is you can keep John Wayne give me to Shira And apparently, uh, he was George Lucas's original choice to play Obi-Wan. And what a change in Star Wars that would have made. Yeah, imagine that.
0: What you said there though, because it's obviously revealed later in the film that he is an orphan farm child, I guess. Yeah. Or he's from a farming village. So, yeah, but you don't you don't know that until, I think it's at least the second part. But yeah, that, that kind of connection he has with the, the villagers, like you say, when he sets off the siren, the alarm, he understands the, the villagers and he's... I wouldn't necessarily say he's a competent samurai, but he, he's... Because uh, they refer to him as a fake samurai, I think, at times, or, or a wannabe samurai. Uh, but he is absolutely welcomed into the group and becomes part of the team. And I think yeah. that's really... Really cool. And I can't, because there's probably that many examples, I can't think of one, so help me out. But I'm sure in any other bringing the team together, film, there's going to be this character who's a bit of a wild card, who's a bit of a loose cannon, who doesn't really sure. fit the, the bill, and they do something, and they go, okay, you can be part of the team then.
1: Because he's got skills. He's got skills. I, for one, am very, very intrigued about what you're going to say about The Magnificent Seven now, Catherine.
2: I don't know if this makes a difference, but... I wasn't very well when we watched The Seven Samurai. I'm not sure if that maybe affected it, but sticking, I'm st- you know I'm sticking to my guns. That's fine.
1: It's good. It's not fine, but it's fine.
0: Yeah. So that is the uh, original Seven Samurai, heavily influential film. Went on to spin many remake uh, and retelling, uh, influenced cinema. In lots of different ways. Uh, and the remake we chose to watch was The uh, Magnificent Seven, the Western version. And we watched, Catherine and I watched that together. So, Catherine, having uh, given your views on the original, what do you think of the remake?
2: I first knew that I adored The Magnificent Seven when I found out it was not three hours and 27 minutes long.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
2: The second time I realized I adored The Magnificent Seven, was when the soundtrack started. Yes! hmm And then the third point in which I realised I adored The Magnificent Seven was when Steve McQueen and Yul Brynner started their bromance. I loved it. I, I just... I love this film. And that's pretty much all I've got to say. It was just joyful. And every single second of it was amazing to me.
1: Can I ask... Was the lack of bald caps a significant factor in your enjoyment of Magnificent Seven?
2: It could have been. I was waiting for your brain to take his cap off, actually. Yeah. Did he do it once, his hat? I don't I think, think so.
1: Oh, I, don't, I don't remember.
2: Oh, no, because I remember there's a scene where they're eating and he's the only one who's not there. And I think that's because he would have had to take his hat off at the table. I, yeah, I remember thinking that at the time. So, yeah, maybe he didn't because he did threaten to take his hat off. During filming, because Steve McQueen was playing silly buggers, and um, he was trying to upstage your Brynner because he didn't feel he was getting enough lines. Mm. So every time your Brynner was like the main character in the scene, he'd be doing something like tipping his hat into the water to pick up you know, when they were on the rides and trying to sort of get the attention back on him. Your Brynner didn't like this, understandably, and said, "If I take my hat off, nobody will be looking at you, Steve." <laughs>
1: You, it's interesting that you mentioned their bromance because they really didn't get on on this film and it wasn't until Steve McQueen was literally dying mm-hmm. that he made up with him and said I'm a star because you didn't kick me off that movie.
2: Yeah and it's sad It's sad. but they were friends before right? Yeah it's sad when that happens. There wasn't as much character development I don't think but I like the sort of economical just the tips of the hat you know and there's like a nod of the head that kind of thing. I, I, I enjoyed it all. It's got my favourite scene of any movie, I think. I, I do change my mind quite a lot, but it's <laughs> it's when um, your Brenner, um, Chris, that's his name, isn't it? Chris, is he's, the villagers have persuaded him to come and help out and protect their village, and it's just him so far. And then Vin, this guy that he met a couple of hours before, comes back into the village, and they sort of they ask him to join and he's like he's not keen because it doesn't pay much and he says how many have you got so far and it's it's almost it's wordless really your brinner just sticks up one finger and it cuts to steve mcqueen and he puts up two fingers as if to say i mean i loved that part i loved it
0: yeah no again i'm not surprised because i i I sense i seem to have this psychic uh, ability to to know what Catherine thinks of a film by looking at the back of her head as she sits forward, um, but yeah, I so I, I I did think this this film is very very good. I think it's it hits most of the same beats. It mixes things up a little bit. There's a few blending of characters. Like Chico is a mix of uh, a couple of the samurai, I think. So Chico's the uh, uh, the younger the younger cowboy, if you like.
1: Horse boots.
0: Yes. I like that they also mixed up that the, so the iconic, I guess, scene, or one of the iconic scenes in Seven Samurai is when they let the individual bandits in and they close the gate and they attack them as one. Um, Whereas you're kind of building up to, okay, right, the bandits are going to attack and they're going to have this plan to trap them. And they even talk about, uh, I guess, funnel them into this single gate and they get back to the village and they're already there. (laughs) (laughs) that was that was quite cool to 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 mix it up I think one Catherine thing Catherine did say and I'd be interested in and having doing this podcast it'd be not impossible to do but watching it immediately after felt like it missed so much like I know we we're gonna go on to joke a lot about Robert Vaughn who uh who has like handful of lines in the film and there are there's definitely some character development with, with um your brainer as chris and, and steve mcqueen as vin i feel like i know a little bit about is it o'reilly uh is, charles uh, bronson charles bronson yeah. yeah and the the guy with the knife
1: james uh, coburn
0: james coburn yeah so i feel like i know a little bit about them but i wanted to know a lot lot more and there wasn't quite as much of these uh little stories going on and, as I'm actually saying this, you know, you, just imagine if this concept existed today, the Avengers, uh, where you get like 12 films or something obscene building up these different stories into the climax of Avengers Infinity War. And, and you know, it would have been great to, to have known more about these characters because they all, they all have their own little story. You've got the Harry Luck, who's the guy who's just going, yeah, but they have really got money, haven't they?
1: Brad yeah, dexter money. Yep. where's the money
0: yeah where's the money where's the emeralds come on and he's trying to tease it out the villagers throughout yeah i thought it was i thought it was very very good uh, i think one one other interesting difference as well so i didn't quite pick up on this when watching it but when i was reading up about it afterwards it, it makes sense that the original takes place over a long time like i'm talking there's seasons involved yeah. there, whereas this is always referenced that this is just a six-week job. We need to come in, do this, we get some money, we get out. Maybe that means that you can't get, obviously not shown sure on the screen, but you can't really get this huge character development over this six weeks. And yeah, I found sometimes when a few of the people or when some of the cowboys got killed, I wasn't really that bothered, uh, <laughs> which sounds terrible.
2: It just uh, all seemed yeah. to happen at once at the end.
0: Yeah, it, it was this big crescendo of right. We're going into battle now, and the battle's happening, and everyone's mm. going to get shot. And
2: didn't have yeah. much weight to it, I don't think.
0: No, but it was for what it was being, which is how do we take a three and a half hour Japanese black and white fifties film and translate that into an American audience that could. Digest it in a more digestible format, and that's exactly what it does. That exceptionally well, you know. To to do that, it has all the beats that it needs to have to get there. So, Ben, what about your? Uh, you obviously know this film incredibly well. What's comparing it, I guess, side by side? What do you think of it now?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna. I'm just gonna lay out a couple of things. Totally agree on the score, Elmer Bernstein's score for this. It's not only one of the greatest, most recognisable theme tunes of all time. It's in my DNA at this point. When I was a kid, there were two soundtrack albums that my mum would put on on the turntable all the time, and one was the greatest war movie themes, and one was the greatest Western movie themes. So <laughs> I couldn't... I, I know every single note of every instrument of El, Elmer Bernstein's score, and it's glorious. And I whistle it when I go to the toilet, and all sorts, right? Incidentally, guy playing the piano on that score, young fella named John Williams.
2: There you go. Yep. Yeah.
1: The first thing that I think the film does, which is very different to The Seven Samurai and really crucial to the success of this movie, is it gives you an identifiable, hateable antagonist. We know who Calvera is. And we also know the stakes are slightly different because when The Seven Samurai starts, the bandits arrive and they are just overheard saying, no, no, we'll come back when the crops are there. And they ride off. So they know they've got a season... To get ready, when Calvera arrives, he rides right into town. He takes a handful of cigars, sure, and he says, "I'm going to come back and I'm going to, you know, pillage you lot clean." But he kills a guy while he's there as well. The other in- important component to that is Eli Wallach, who plays Calvera. Genuinely, this is not hyperbole. One of my favorite actors of all time. That guy never lets you down, and he was acting into his, I want to say, 80s. He's a phenomenal actor, and he is arguably giving the best performance in the film, I think. In, a, in an amazing cast, I mean, Steve McQueen, Yul Brynner, James Coburn, Charlie Bronson. these are great, great fucking actors. The way I feel about The Magnificent Seven is it's absolutely the best kind of classic Hollywood. Forget that it's a remake. It's got a script where every line pops with wit and meaning, I see what you're saying, that like a lot of the stuff has been taken out, but honestly, there wasn't a whole lot taken out that I missed. I think it just makes this a much leaner, much more poppy, sort of enjoyable kind of film. It's really vibrant. The camera work's incredible. And the comparison that I would make is, if Seven Samurai is the Shawshank Redemption, Magnificent Seven is Die Hard. They're both brilliant films. One of them is one of the greatest films of all time that everybody should see. But if you ask me which one I wanna watch right now, more times than not, I'm gonna say Die Hard. And that's how I feel Mm -hmm. about Magnificent Seven. It may not be as important a film, it may not be as thematically rich a film, but it's a fucking incredible piece of filmmaking entertainment. And it is, joyous is the right word. It's just so enjoyable from start to finish. I hear what you're saying about the climax. I think it is maybe a little bit rushed in the end. Some of that is possibly from the viewpoint of a modern cinema audience because actually if you look at what happens in those last 15-20 minutes, it's chaos. It's pure cacophony. There's just gunshots and horses getting dragged in the dirt, people falling off roofs, people falling through windows, people coming off of horses. As an extravaganza of classic Hollywood stunt making, it's an orgy of brilliance and the camera work. Again, these beautiful tracking shots in the, in the attack on the village before that, where they drive Eli Wallach's men out. There's an incredible tracking shot as, as Calvera and a couple of his men are riding horses over the walls of the village, out of the village. And they're being chased. That looks as good as anything that you'd see in, in a modern film today. So that's pretty much how I feel about magnificent seven. It's just got an incredible cast. I the one actor that, um, and one them, I do believe what you're saying is right. I think Brad Dexter as Harry and Robert Vaughan as, I don't know, impotent guy. I can't remember what his character is called. Uh, Lee. Lee, right. They're given this sort of the this short shrift. What you get in their place is Eli Wallach as Calvera, but I think also the actor who plays a character called Hilario, who's the main villager who goes mm. out to try and find these guys. It's an actor called Jorge Martinez de Joyos. He gives a really great performance too. it's and it's not a showy performance. he's He is really stepping up and learning to to try and be more like these men, knowing his limitations as a simple man. And I love the dialogue scene between him, and pretty sure it's Steve McQueen where he's talking about my hands are sweating and my mouth is dry, you know, and Steve McQueen is telling him about how, yeah, I, I kind of remember what it was like to you know to be like that. It's just a wonderful scene, and, and I think these little additions make a big difference. Uh, there's more heart, I think, in, in in this film in a lot of ways. Yes. And, and, and it's sort of less about you know, nobility and all of that, and it's more about emotion. Um, the scene I thought you were going to mention when you said one of your favorite scenes of all time, Charles Bronson's speech to the kids about courage, when these three kids who idolize Bernardo, Charlie Bronson's character, one of them, I think the youngest one says that their fathers are cowards and he grabs his kid mm-hmm. and he spanks him and he tells him what courage is. I won't recite the whole thing. But for me, that's an all-timer. Like It's just a, a beautiful scene, a lovely piece of writing, brilliantly performed in a time when Charles Bronson was still an actor and not just the Death Wish guy. And, and, the, and the script is full of all of that stuff. There's really, really witty dialogue all the way through. I think it's a, an amazing script and a, just a wonderful film.
2: Yeah, you just—I mean, I couldn't really explain it very well. Phil, both of you explained why I love this film. It's superb, superb film.
0: I think one of my favourite uh, scenes was quite early on, uh, where we were first introduced into to Yul Brenner and the um, uh, and Steve McQueen. And uh, I think there's a, a funeral kind of director and they're refusing to take the Was it an Indian's body? I think it That's was right, yeah. up onto and, Boot and Hill. Saying, yeah, they. they I guess the locals wouldn't allow a foreign body, for want of a better phrase, to, yeah. to, be, uh, to be buried in their town. Um, so uh, Yul Brenner and, and Steve McQueen just kind of, should we take it up? And it's like, yeah, okay. And they, they ride up and, and um, I think there's a phrase something like, oh, here come the welcoming party. And there's a group of guys up there, you know, waiting for them. And Yul, Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen got it boxed.
1: Even in the build-up to that scene, because that really is a scene that's supposed to show you that Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen are the man. It's just, you know, mm. they, they're Yul and Steve McQueen. You don't need to convince me. Of course, they're going to go out there and show them who's boss. I like the, the the little, again, it's that sort of short story element that they've captured from Seven Samurai, these tiny little vignettes that tell you about different characters. The two businessmen who are trying to get The Undertaker to take the body up there, they have this snapshot conversation about prejudice. It's br- In 1960, it's crazy. It's brilliant, mm. though. Yeah. And it's such yeah. a tiny little yeah. moment, but it, it's another thing that just gives this film so much... Yeah, not really depth. It's not a deep film, but it does give it a richness. I think. I have a very technical question, Ben.
0: Um, it's not really specific about this film.
1: Um, um,
2: why? Why aren't you asking me?
0: <laughs> I have a technical question for Ben. <laughs> the The film degreed and that, well, we'll ask Catherine first. See if you know. The no,
2: that's fine. You've you've had your chance. You've missed it.
0: <laughs> so, so between, I guess, between edits. You see the image quality in the film drop. Yeah, 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 sure. So so why is that? Is that something to do when they're literally cutting the film
1: it's, and it's yeah, layering two the sets process. of film yeah, yeah. over one another. So as soon as mm. the second part of the film starts, you see a change in colour quality in the film, don't you? You see yeah, it in a lot yeah. of the movies from this time. Because they were still only really getting used to things like crossfades. Yeah. Or
0: well, the the uh was it Kurosawa the uh wipe? Yeah, wipe cut, yeah. It was a wipe, didn't he? That was a yeah.
1: wipe. Something else cool. that George Lucas stole for Star Wars.
2: Anything
0: further to add on the uh, the remake, Catherine?
2: Just that I know you say Robert Vaughan got short shrift with his lines, but um, he certainly got his wardrobe. It made up his wardrobe <laughs> made up for it. He was a snazzy dresser.
1: Very dapper, yeah.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Joking aside, I think I think what he does with what he's got is pretty cool. You know, he he does come in as this. I guess he he is the smart, snazzy. Uh, cowboy who in the first hour of the film literally does nothing, you know, in the village gets attacked and he's, he's not there, you know, he's yeah, not he's ca- he cowering, not
1: hiding. Anymore.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and then there's a reveal that I guess something in his past has has influenced him and he decides, no, I'm going to do something about it now. And he does, he has his moment to, to contribute to saving the, the village. Uh, I also like when Chico infiltrated the bandits, base yeah as one of them so he stuck he, he stuck their gear on and uh he went along and was listening to the kind of uh, the plans of Calvera and the and what they were looking to do well that's I especially the,
1: great uh, because they they've just all been having a conversation like he's saying or some, one of them is saying the people of this village will write songs about you they write songs about any old thing that happens they're definitely going to write songs about you and then they're making this bet like jokingly saying if you could walk up into that camp and find out what calvera is up to they'll write a fucking song about you and you can sort of see on his face is like i actually can do that i've got their rifles i've got their hat i've got their, <laughs> their bandoleros why not
0: i also like obviously because at the time it was set in there was i guess guns were more freely available but not freely available to the to the villagers so the tactic was to capture as many of the bandits as possible or at least capture their weapons yeah and then use them against them, which I thought was 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 pretty cool.
1: Do you want to talk about my note about female representation? Because I think there's literally one woman in Seven Samurai who has to pretend that she's a boy, and there's really only one woman in Magnificent Seven who definitely does not <laughs> pretend that she is a boy. Ooh-wee. she's hot. But not a great time for women in film. But I, I guess the the question that I want to ask there is: I don't feel any guilt watching either of these films. And thinking that they're great. They're, they're mm. men's films yeah. about men, men on a mission. And, you know, The Dirty Dozen is the same as that. And Bastards is sort of the same as that. Do, do you ever sit there thinking, God, I wish there was like some women in this movie
2: though? No, I didn't for either of the films. Okay. I, I, I think it depends on the film. Yeah. I, I I didn't think in either of the films it warranted. That wasn't what the story was about.
1: I suppose it helps that they're set in a different time as well. Mm. So the other what about film the horses uh, well <laughs> I dread to think how many I mean on the Kurosawa film I would say horses and people got maimed yeah. but I think even on Magnificent Seven I I do not enjoy watching a horse hit the ground like that and I don't I should I didn't see anything involving the American Humane Society so I don't know if this was before the time where they just would go and get another horse and put a bullet in the one of you know that broke its leg just something to bear in mind if you're easily triggered by those things. The other film that I think is a loose remake of The Magnificent Seven, though, and it was the one film that when it was done, I was like, I really want to watch that right now. Three Amigos.
2: Yeah. yeah. Basically
1: the same story, isn't it?
2: I don't remember.
0: Three Amigos?
2: No, I've seen it. I don't remember it. I think I it... it was uh, Steve mm-hmm. Martin, Martin Short and Chevy Chase. Correct. Yeah. I have seen it. I, I don't remember.
1: And it's got a score by Elmer Bernstein, who did the score for Magnificent Seven.
0: In terms of the Magnificent Seven, I have not seen the remake of Magnificent Seven.
1: Oh, the, the Chris the actual remake. Chris Pratt. Yeah, is
0: it any good? It's
1: fine. Uh, yeah, I mean yeah. that's two and a half hours long, and it doesn't need to be. There's some good action in it, though, but it's it's nowhere near as good as as this or a Bug's Life. And what about you, Catherine? Have you seen that one?
2: No, and I probably won't. I'm just going to stick to my Magnificent Seven 1960 version.
0: I would be curious to see a modern retelling of Seven Samurai with Samurai.
1: Well, I think you should watch the film that I lent you uh, a couple of months ago. I think you should watch 13 Assassins. because It's a slightly different take on it, but very, very bloody. And obviously all of the, the modern trappings of cinema technology. Uh, that's a wonderful, and literally the last hour of that is all one battle, and it's incredible.
0: If you have any uh, good samurai films, please write in, (laughs) post on our social media group.
1: (laughs) Um, So
0: that is, well, the 20 films watched, Seven Samurai Magnificent Seven, uh, completing our decalogue of remakes. To wrap up, as always, Catherine, I'm sure you've got lots more facts and stats about the films uh, you want to share uh, with our listeners,
2: well, I've I've shared my real arrows in the re- in the original. Your Brynner got married on set of the remake. He used all the the fiesta scene. He used that as his um, the wedding celebrations. Very nice. They had to clean all of the um, they pre dirtied all of the clothes for the villagers in Mexico, but the Mexican government were very unhappy with how Mexicans have been portrayed in a, a previous film. It came out in 1954. It's called Vera Cruz, mm. and um mexicans had not been portrayed very well in it It, it, i haven't seen it i can't comment but so they insisted on um mexican censors being involved in the 1960 remake um and they insisted that all of the villagers had clean clothes not dirty so they had to clean all of the the pre-dirtied clothes that they'd set aside for for the cast oh and steve mcqueen staged a car accident to star in this film
1: staged Um, a car accident well
2: he he was involved in a car accident but it was a set up car accident i believe um he was involved in filming a tv series and he couldn't get out of it to film this so he had a car accident which required him to wear a neck brace so in his recovery time he um was able to film this
1: sneaky mcqueen
2: sneaky mcqueen
1: 'Cause this is a good time to learn a bit of pub trivia. Can you name all seven magnificent seven actors now? Go.
2: Um, Brad <clears throat> um hang on, okay, I'll start your Steve yep. McQueen, yep. Brad, can't remember his second name. Dexter. Charles Bronson. Yeah. Brad Dexter, Charles Bronson, um James Coburn, yep. Robert Vaughan, yep. and oh the German I can't remember his name. I, di- I can't remember his name. Nope. I know he's Jem.
1: Chico Time. Horst Buchholz. That's Brad Dexter's the one. the one that everyone always forgets,
0: though. Oh, poor Brad. So I, I, I don't really have much in the way of facts to add to it. We touched on the relationship or, or interesting relationship of Yul Brynner and Steve McQueen on set, the one-upmanship, and I think there was just lots of that going on from what, from what I read into it. Just, just little things like Steve McQueen would do something on on camera to draw attention to him to and your brinner was not uh, best pleased about all of
1: that didn't really yeah. need to worry in the end though because no your, your brinner comes out of the film pretty good i think
2: he's pretty good
1: um, he's there in this
2: iconic black completely black you know cowboy outfit yeah he's pretty he's
0: which fun. is basically what he wore in um, westworld another thing as well that listeners may not realize is there was actually a sequel
1: there were three the sequels, Seven. I think.
0: Yeah, Your Brenner was the only one to reprise his role in
1: Return of the Seven. Is
2: it yeah. called? Yeah,
1: and then The Magnificent Seven Ride again, or something like that. There's a, there's a whole bunch of them. I think they got progressively worse.
2: Um, can we talk scores? Because um, I'm quite interested in these scores. Actually, I feel a bit more interested than usual.
0: Yeah, I think now then, is the time for scores.
2: The original. The IMDb scores are fine. They are what they are. 8.6 for the original, 7.7 for the remake. The Rotten Tomatoes percentage, 100% for the original. Wow. I think that's the first 100% that I've seen anyway. But for the remake, the critic score was 88 and the audience score was 88. Still
1: pretty I high,
2: just. Li- but I just <laughs> yeah, but I just like that. I like that it's, I don't think I've had a doubler, both 88, the critic and the audience score. So I just wanted to get that in.
0: So, so yeah, to be 100% fresh is is pretty impressive. Uh, Magnificent Seven, though, I could see how, especially when I watch it in the context of it being a remake and watching it the day after I've watched Seven Samurai, how you, you nailed it, Ben. It's, it's Die Hard and Shawshank. It's a more fun film, I guess, in some respects, but that doesn't mean it's as good mm. um, as the original.
1: It's really difficult when you get into, you know, objectivity versus subjectivity. I think Magnificent Seven is still objectively a good film, like on any sort of way you want to measure it. I can also see how it's not necessarily a significant film, though. Do you know what I mean? If it had never been remade, we would just lose a wonderful piece of pop culture. Whereas if Seven Samurai had never been made, it would be cinema would be worse off.
0: So thanks. That's the, uh, the critics' uh, views on the films. Uh, but of course, our two scoring metric system i guess we have our three word reviews and our agree make unmake or amazing to start off uh with a three word review anybody want to jump in and share their three word review of uh, magnificent seven
2: i will steve mcqueen's heart <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh you stole mine damn it uh, uh,
0: so i've gone for i've gone for cowboy samurai usa <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> sure
0: I
2: mean That's my that's favorite one. It's good.
1: That's what it is. Yeah. They should have they should have called it that. That is actually the Japanese title, <laughs> ironically.
0: <laughs> Cowboy Samurai USA. That's
2: my favourite three word review.
1: Yeah, I feel like Thank a bit of a like chump guy. Now mine's just classic Hollywood magnificence.
0: <laughs> yeah. I had magnificent Western remake. And of course our true rating of a film. Our three-point scale, Ben, remind our listeners what that scale is.
1: If you don't know by now, what the hell are you doing? If a film is just pissing all over the memory of the film that it's remaking, then it's an unmake. If it's pretty good, a noble effort, some good shots here and there, you know, about as good, maybe a little bit, not as good as the original, then it's an agree make. This is where it's going to get tricky, y'all. If it is superior, if it takes the original and builds on it and improves on it in some way, if it's a remarkable film, then it is re-mazing. And This, again, is where the difficult line between objectivity and subjectivity will come in.
0: So I'll, I'll go first. And we, we've touched this a few times about how reference it against the original, not scoring on its own merits. And if I'm referencing it against the original, it isn't a remake. It's a very, very, very good remake. One of the the top remakes that we've done, no shadow of a doubt, but it's hard to top the original. That's my kind of viewpoint on it.
1: A remake. Go on in, Catherine. Okay. What are you saying?
2: This film is Remagnificent, and it's Remagnificent <laughs> times seven. There we go. Which, even if both of you don't go amazing, times seven beats your two scores. <laughs>
1: feel very privileged to to have the deciding vote in the final remake of the series and I am going to go with my heart I'm going to say it's amazing because I just I just love it and it's no slight on Seven Samurai at all but this is a very 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 smart way of doing a remake trimming some of the fat doing something new adding a couple of new elements it's just a wonderful film head to toe and I couldn't in all honesty, not go with anything less than amazing. Amazing.
0: We drew parallels right at the start about this—the gap between the remakes of Insomnia. Um, <clears throat> I think another thing it has related to Insomnia is it is how if you're uh, if you're an American or Western filmmaker listening to this podcast, what are you doing? And secondly, <laughs> um, that is how you remake a foreign film. You right, take absolutely. all the components of it and you switch it up enough that it you can make it stand its own two feet. Yeah. And yeah, I think that is uh, two excellent examples.
1: I, and I think the fact that Magnificent Seven itself has become an influential film speaks to that. Mm. Just want to make a couple of recommendations, because, Catherine, if you have never seen the two following films, you must watch
2: them. I've got a pen.
1: The Good, the Bad and the Ugly.
2: Never seen it.
1: So Eli Wallach is the Ugly in The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. And that's worth mentioning because we are the good to Burn, the remake but yeah, amazing film but also a film that not enough people have seen in my opinion kevin costner's open range now regardless of what your mileage with kevin costner is mm-hmm. wonderful wonderful action western actually a decent role for annette benning in the middle of that as well robert duval one of the greatest final shootouts in any western ever in my opinion so definitely okay. check open range out
0: so as always, we do also have to uh, choose something from the remake to put into the original. I really struggle with this one because they are putting a cowboy into a samurai film was quite difficult. Yeah, you know it's, we've used special effects a few times and, and different things. So, but I am going to go first because I think I might steal Ben's because he said it in the uh, discussion. It, it was the more developed enemy leader, but the more I think about that, you didn't you didn't need that in the original so uh, i'm not sure if it would add or or take away from you know make it four hours long no
1: but that's that's the really interesting thing i think is that you don't miss it in the seventh samurai because it's not about the bandits it's about the villagers Mm. but for some reason adding it into the magnificent seven is just a a brilliant move i think i'm gonna go next because it's not the character it's the actor Mm -hmm. eli wallach Look, he's a Jew playing a Mexican. I'm pretty sure he can play Japanese. So I'm going to stick Eli Wallach in The Seventh Samurai somewhere. And
2: Catherine? As much as I'd like to put Steve McQueen in every film, <laughs> um, I think it would be the soundtrack. Doesn't fit, wouldn't go, but I could listen to that over and over. And I have done.
0: So that is 10 remakes reviewed, series of unmakes, agree makes and remaisings. Obviously, we don't have a film to to tell you about to watch next week. So uh, if you're listening to this in out of order, you know, go and watch all 20 films because I think for various different reasons, they're worth watching. And I think we'll take this opportunity maybe to have a, a bit of a chat about some of our highlights of the series, some of the surprises maybe, uh, and some of the disappointments that we had as we watched along. So yeah, I'll open it to the floor. If anyone wants to, to talk about some of your highlights of the of the films we've watched.
2: I'm the least experienced film watcher of the three of us and have neglected my film watching, I'd say, over the past, for a long time. So I've definitely taken away some films that I hadn't seen before. There were films here that I had seen before that I love, like Robocop, Ghostbusters. But films that I will take away and have a newfound love for Little Shop of Horrors, obviously. Yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Magnificent Seven. All remakes. Well, I loved the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the original Insomnia. Mm. Although, mm, I can't envision me watching that one again. It wasn't a pleasant film. Oh, and The Hitcher. Oh my God, I just, I've really enjoyed (laughs) watching. And there's very, very few that I haven't enjoyed. In fact, even Point Break the remake. I enjoyed I enjoyed doing the podcast about it, so I've it's all positive for me. All positive. Yeah. But there are definitely some films that I should have seen that I hadn't, but I have now. So they I've, I've ordered already some of them on D V D.
0: So no I think point break was largely it kicked us off. It was uh, you know the original is 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 a classic for, for us and, and really, really worth watching film. The remake is abysmal but it, it set the tone for for what was to come, and then I think as we as we got through uh, the films, uh, you know, getting to rewatch Little Shop of Horrors was was incredible. Um, getting to rewatch RoboCop again, which is fantastic, and and seeing RoboCop and Ghostbusters actually as remakes that were probably harshly panned because of the context of them being remakes are actually standalone, okay, and, and perfectly serviceable films. Insomnia got me to complete the the Nolan collection. Getting into enjoy flatliners in, in a different way. You know the Joel Joel Schumacherness of it was you know again I'd not seen that as a as a kind of mature person and to appreciate what a film it was and kind of what it could have been the disappointment of the remake it could have been an absolute belting remake it was never set up to be that yeah I've I've really 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 have enjoyed it I think it's been we said right at the start. This started as a WhatsApp conversation about crappy, shitty remakes, uh, an exchange of uh, Overboard DVDs uh, in various different guises, which I still haven't watched, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so vote for that if you want to, uh, <laughs> if you want us to watch Overboard. But yeah. What about you, Ben? You, are of course, a, a lot of these films you'd
1: seen. Um, yeah. You uh, sure? I think unless I'm mistaken. I think the Flatliners remake was maybe the only one that I hadn't seen, although I didn't remember much of the Hitcher. I'm really glad that we started with the worst film, the Point Break remake.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I still feel strongly that was the most unpleasant. It was the only film that I didn't enjoy watching on some level. Even the Flatliners remake I thought was was watchable, even if it wasn't as good as the, the original. But the two that I actually enjoyed the most Seeing Flatliners again for the first time in nearly 30 years, really appreciated it on a, on a completely different level. And that's not to say that it's a five-star film. It's not. But there was so much more in that film that I remembered there being. And I appreciated it so much more. And I think because, as we mentioned, you know, the recent passing of Joel Schumacher, I was in a place where I was thinking about how much I appreciated a lot of his work. So it was really nice to get something new out of that. And the Hitcher, the original Hitcher, which although it was a film that I knew I loved, I loved even more watching it again this time. And it's, again, as I said on that episode, it's it's been elevated again in my mind because it's just so, so well done. But genuinely, even even putting aside the, the Point Break remake, this has been a really, really enjoyable project. I've really enjoyed uh, chatting about all of these uh, week in, week out, with you guys and there's been stuff that you both have said that uh, you know totally put a different light on some of these films for me and i'm really glad that we got exposed to a really nice spread of kind of you know different language movies different periods of movies comedy horror of science fiction you know we did we tried to cover everything and i think in that regard it's been you know really fresh and enjoyable every week and i hope that we get to do some more sometime because i think there's a a billion remakes out there that I'd be willing to watch with you guys so the final
0: thing that uh, so we don't know yet the poll has yet to close but there are 10 films contained within this poll uh, as voted for by our listeners uh, for our special 11th episode that we'll be recording so a reminder of what these 10 films are one technicality on one of them uh, the 11th film was Jumanji uh, it was recommended by uh, Francis Uh, fortunately jumanji is a sequel uh, and therefore we have had to remove it out of the list so the 10 films are and i'll go through maybe we'll just have a brief reaction from you two as to to whether you'd be curious about uh about watching uh, originals and remakes of this so sean suggested scarface
2: yeah yeah
0: so the remake so the original was that black and white 40s 50s i think 30s wow uh, we also have the
1: producers.
0: Uh, that was uh, suggested by Nick.
1: I, the producers, uh, uh, I'll, of course, I'd do it. It's probably the one that I'm least interested in doing. We then have
0: the uh, 1969 and 2003 remake, uh, the Italian job. That was uh, yeah. suggested by Helen. Interested?
1: Yeah, I, I honestly, I quite like the, the the remake. It's a good little movie, so I I would definitely be up for that one.
0: We then have. A foreign Swedish film, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and the remake, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. That was suggested by Sarah.
1: Now, what I will say about that is, technically, the David Fincher film is not a remake of the earlier film. It's just another adaptation of the book. And we did say early on that we weren't going to do multiple adaptations. That said, there's a lot to talk about in the different approaches to those two films, so I am in. My yeah. sister
2: Frances will not be happy if hers has been disqualified and Sarah gets in on a technicality.
1: All oh, right, disqualifying both, then fucking them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got to have ten. It's already up. It's in. The vote's already out there. Sorry, Fran. Uh,
0: we also have uh, so a couple from well, a couple from Steve Wright. But the um, first one is the thing. Mm. So I presume. Yes, yes, here, yes. I presume Sorry. here was talking about. Because remember, the rules are we have to watch the original and then any remake, uh, albeit am I right in saying that the more recent The Thing is actually a sequel?
1: It's a prequel, in fact, to the John prequel. Carpenter. Prequel, that was World. it, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So The Thing from Another World is from the 50s, and then you got John Carpenter's The Thing in the 80s. Yeah, probably my all-time favorite horror movie, so of course I'm in on that one.
0: Uh, and also from Steve Wright, but also Gaz suggested *The Departed*.
2: Infernal affairs. Infernal,
0: Infernal affairs. affairs. Yeah. So I've seen uh, I've seen *The Departed*. I think was, I think have seen it once. I've not seen *Infernal Affairs*. So up for that one. Me too. *Infernal Affairs*. Presumably foreign language.
1: Hong Kong. Yeah.
0: We then have *Total Recall*, which is suggested from Kiri. Yeah. Not
1: feeling that one. No. Uh... I, Well. Yeah, look, I love Arnie. I love Total Recall. The (laughs) Colin Farrell version. It's just, it's such a nothing film. It's a music video.
2: I wouldn't mind, but not when we've got so many of the great ones on the list.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's not up to us, don't forget. Somehow, well,
0: we say somehow, but I think we might have referenced this in the kind of pilot episode. We we purposely said we weren't going to be doing any of the Disney live action remakes, um, but Rachel has suggested Aladdin. So if that gets enough votes, I'd be. I think Aladdin the cartoon is is one of my favourite Disney films. I think it's so much fun. Totally, yeah. Uh, I've never seen the live action remake, so that would be a an interesting
1: one.
2: Fine, I'd watch what, it. I'm not excited by it.
1: What I'll say about that is I've watched a few of those live action remakes since <laughs> Disney Plus came out. Aladdin's not the worst one, not by a long shot.
0: Uh, Ocean's Eleven. Uh, that was also suggested by Gaz. So uh, I guess we're talking about around two thousand
1: and three. No, two thousand one. I think yeah. And yeah. then the the sixties Rat Pack Frank Sinatra one would be the original there. Yeah,
0: cool, cool men doing cool things or something.
1: Yeah, well that applies to the remake. I'm not sure that even applies to the original. It's just some cool yeah. men in Vegas
0: and finally 12 angry men which was Ooh. proposed by alex
1: that was alex's one yeah so that's a good one.
0: yeah so that is i think it was a that was 30s wasn't it
1: no 50s 50s, 50s f- for the original and then i think around about 2000 for the remake with jack lemon both really good uh, that that would make an interesting discussion i have to say that would be a good one
0: yeah thank you for everybody who's uh who suggested films if you're uh, listening to this we're going to leave the uh the poll up for a little while to to get it out and, and hopefully get some voting good voting competition on there uh we will record this final episode whichever you vote for cole so yes get on our social feeds uh, to vote ben if you want to remind our listeners how they can well if you want to feedback or get in touch or
1: vote yeah so even though the series has, has come to an end we still want suggestions for Next time, we still want your feedback. We still want your comments. Please carry on sharing and liking and all that stuff. It gives us a reason to come back. But the poll itself will be on our Facebook page. So go to Facebook, look for the Good, the Bad, and the Remake movie podcast, or you can go to Facebook slash Good, Bad, Remake. You can also catch us on Twitter. Give us a comment there if you like, or just share our stuff, retweet us. That's at Good, Bad, Remake. And if you've got some longer-form thoughts for us, or something that you just want to whisper in Neil Cross's ear, send it to goodbadremake at gmail.com.
0: Superb. So for those people who listen who are dedicated and listen to the podcast right to the end, you will hear some phenomenal outtakes of how I um, <laughs> uh, close a podcast and the struggles. Yeah, and have struggled in recent weeks. But it has been great. it has been fantastic. We will be back soon with special episode 11 TBC. Thank you very much for listening. Uh... <laughs>
1: you were doing so well You were right.
0: You fell at the finish line. I just yeah, I was gonna cry mate. Um, <laughs> no so uh, no thank you again. it has been it has been fantastic. it's been great to to watch these films with these guys and discuss them and I will just say. Thank you and goodbye. Bravo. Goodbye.
2: See you next time.
1: And star wipe, and we're out.
2: Boom.
0: (laughs) By the end of our is it Alan Partridge?
2: Hmm. <laughs>
1: <Is it>? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Jobs are good in. Done.
0: Ah, oh, what do we do now?
1: Well, Rap party, in it? Innit?